He wants electric vehicle mandates that will spell the death of the U.S. auto industry. You know, it doesn't matter. I watch it. You're negotiating a contract. You're all on picket lines and everything. But it doesn't make a damn bit of difference what you get because in two years, you're all going to be out of business. You're not getting anything. That's Donald Trump in town last night speaking in Clinton Township at Drake Enterprises, a transmission auto parts supplier. I, 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 I disagree with that premise to a certain extent. Um, but to be honest, there is a shred of truth to that. Like, this is a guy who is is obviously against the electrification of vehicles, which is fine. You don't have to be for it. You don't have to support it. But, but as of right now, that's tra- the trajectory that we're on. And so it wasn't a surprise that Donald Trump came in and and beat that drum like he has many times in many locations before. But when you get down to the nitty gritty, part of the 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 negotiations, one of the sticking points that the UAW is fighting for is union representation in some of these new battery plants or EV plants. I. I It's actually shocking how few, as of today, EV union-made vehicles there are. We'll get to it. But there is a shred of truth to that. I don't know that I believe necessarily that whatever these talks, however they end up, it doesn't matter. Because if you go down this road, you're going to be in trouble. I don't know that I believe that completely. But there is a shred of truth that, look, ask Jim Farley, he said it. There, there could be a 40% reduction in the workforce when they make a switch to electric vehicles. I mean, a 40 per, a four out of 10 people are going to be without a job. That is a massive hit to the UAW and to the union. So I, I actually do believe that these conversations are meant to be fruitful, but they're also meant to be a way for the union to survive. They're all also meant for a way for a, a way forward for the union as the automakers the OEMs the big 3 they make this switch and some companies have been more bullish than others general motors saying they want to have an all ev portfolio by 2035 that's ambitious but with that said i i think both of those things can be true but we'll get to more of donald trump coming up at 2.18. Ten minutes from now, we'll talk to Congressman Tim Walberg. But the debate was last night as well. And and we did see some, some differences from the candidates last night than what we saw on stage a month ago. And here's really what we saw. And we talked about this yesterday. I told you to look out for it. There was no doubt that these candidates had to start taking some shots. They had to start rolling the dice. And last night, some of them did. Ron DeSantis calling Donald Trump out by name, saying that he needed to be there, doing a disservice to the Republican voters by not being there and hashing out ideas. Chris Christie obviously took shots. That's not a new new novel move for him. Mike Pence taking some shots. Everybody... Here and there, we're sprinkling in some some body blows to Donald Trump. 
but nobody really came out and lambasted him. So what we saw yesterday, in my mind, was a better debate than the first one a month ago. But it's still not, it still wasn't great on substance. Like I thought Vivek Ramaswamy, there were a lot of FaceTime. He was doing his best to, 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 to pipe in. But I don't, he didn't really hurt himself. I don't think he, 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 he climbed up the, the, the totem pole any further. I thought Mike Pence was a little flat yesterday. I thought he did a really nice job in the first debate. I thought yesterday was a little, a, a bit of a flat performance for him. You know, Tim Scott, the, the, the back and forth with Nikki Haley, and we'll talk about this too. I thought Tim Scott really hurt himself last night. And, and and we'll get into why. But for me, you know, Nikki Haley seems to be, in my mind, of the last two debates, the winner. And Tim Scott, for whatever reason, decided to pick on her. Now, they're both from South Carolina. And they've got history. I believe Nikki Haley appointed Tim Scott to his Senate seat. But there was some bad blood there and they and that spilled out. I thought Nikki Haley won again. I, I don't I she has this thing with Ramaswamy that they go back and forth. And I don't know that that was needed last night, but I thought she she was the winner. Ron DeSantis, I don't know if he can not go off script. I, I to me, everything is pre- canned pre-packaged I don't know that he can you know kind of free flow with the the conversation like Nikki Haley can you know I I think Doug Burgum is out I mean I I just there's too much there's there's not enough oxygen on the stage and I just think Doug Burgum's going to be the the last man out and Chris Christie you know I thought Chris Christie did a nice job building off of the first debate but, but we'll we'll get into this a little bit more because I have a, a, an, an interesting thought and a question for you about the caliber of politicians up there on that stage. We'll, we'll do that coming up. Also today, the House Oversight Committee, led by James Comer, the Republican out of Kentucky, holding their first hearing to examine the value of an impeachment inquiry, and they are presenting evidence that they say that they have uncovered that will show this willingness of the Biden family to capitalize on Joe Biden's position for financial gain. Bruce Dubinsky, a forensic accountant, he's got experience in financial investigations and financial fraud uh, testifying Former Assistant Attorney General Eileen O'Connor, who was with the uh, United States Department of Justice Tax Division, uh, testifying, as is Jonathan Turley today. He testified in the Clinton and Trump impeachments, of course. And now, even more so, the, the president has said that th- there's no involvement here with Hunter Biden's business dealings. But... The House Ways and Means Committee voted to release new whistleblower documents. These documents say, according to the committee, 
that the Department of Justice ordered the FBI and IRS investigators involved in the Hunter Biden probe to, quote, remove any reference to President Biden in a search warrant related to Foreign Agents Restriction Acts probe, one of the uh, warrants that they had 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 sought out. So th- that also leads to the intrigue. And you've got the, you know, Jamie Raskins of the world saying that that there's just nothing here. And and I, I would caution Jamie Raskins to let this play out. But here's what he had to say about some of the information that they were bringing forward. Let's get it straight. We're 62 hours away from shutting down the government of the United States of America, and Republicans are launching an impeachment drive based on a long debunked and discredited lie. To which I would point to the fact that, according to the Durham report, there was no information to spur on an investigation into Donald Trump's uh, uh, dealings with Russia There was just nothing there. And in fact, the FBI was so negligent in their efforts to investigate those ties that there needed to be changes made at the bureau. So I I don't I don't I'm aside from the 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 change of the letter in front of the president's name. I'm not really entirely sure that Jamie Raskins has a leg to stand on. Tim Wahlberg coming up next. We'll talk about Donald Trump's visit to Michigan, what that means for the UAW negotiations, and if Donald Trump was able to garner any support from UAW members yesterday in Clinton Township. We'll do it next on JR Afternoon. Well, Congressman Tim Wahlberg's been pretty busy in Washington, D.C., but I'm my guess is he probably caught some of what Donald Trump had to say in town last night. Congressman Wahlberg joins us. Good to have you. It's good to be with you. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, I, l- let's start first on on the 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 spending bill in in Washington. Where are we at uh, with with both your uh, counterparts in in uh, the House and in the Senate? Where are we at in terms of funding the government going forward? Well, I appreciate you asking it that way. House and Senate. The Senate has uh, started the process of passing a. Uh, a, a, a true continuing resolution where we don't do any reform, we don't take care of the border. It's just a straight, let's keep it as is for the next 30 days or so. I forget which, whether they have it shorter than that or longer than that. And and status quo and just kind of kick it down the road. And, and the normal process will be after doing that uh, a couple times, then they put an omni together, which we have made very clear to them. We d- will not vote on an omni. That's against our, our rules here in the House. Um, so I don't know how that ends up working out, but they've taken no bills from committee. They've uh, not even dealt with any of the funding bills in committee. They haven't offered any on the floor to vote on. They've just done this continuing resolution yesterday, and thankfully Rand Paul uh, did a procedural that would keep it from immediately going through. So probably that can't come to the House before um, Saturday or Sunday. Um, in the House, however, uh, we have already passed one of the, the spending bills. That was the VA bill. Uh, we have four other that have been on uh, the calendar this week, uh, Tuesday night, or I guess you'd say Wednesday morning around 1 o'clock, 1.30. We finished the day working on 
some of those bills. Uh, yet last night we came off the floor around midnight, and then the debate on further amendments went on after that. Uh, so we're working through. We are planning to get four of the spending bills through this week with no hold on the amendments. Uh, we've done uh, an average of 100 amendments per bill if we finish it by tomorrow evening, um, giving everybody an opportunity to get their say, reducing. All of the bills are set at the spending level, top-line spending level of 2019. That's pre-COVID. A lot of my constituents, my conservative constituents, said that 2022 isn't good enough. We want you to go back to, to pre-COVID. Well, that's what we're doing. There is no uh, Ukrainian uh, funding dollars in there. There are funding for our own military that goes to our own military forces to train them on how special needs and training training Ukrainian soldiers, but no direct spending on Ukraine. Uh, we've taken all of the woke stuff out of the defense budget, uh, the human, uh, the uh, uh, um, border control budget, um, homeland security, and uh, that's the process we're going through. We have chosen not to put a continuing resolution up. There won't be one. We'll put a short-term spending bill up uh, for a vote by itself after we vote on all four of the spending bills. And what that short-term spending bill will do, will, it'll put us at 2019 levels for the 30 days of the short-term spending. And it'll also include the language that we put in HR2, which was the border security bill which is basically the, the old Trump policy mm -hmm. on how we secure the border. So that's there. Now, I know some of my colleagues have made a statement that I've never made, and I encourage all my freshman colleagues when I have a chance, don't ever say never. Never say never, because you don't know what will come up. So here they have what some have classified as a continuing resolution, which it isn't. I've never voted on a continuing resolution that didn't simply continue present funding. Well, and... and, and and some in in the chamber have argued that the Republicans have, I mean, you, you you do have a bit of a of a of a leg up here. And if you kick this down the road like that, and and you you lose that that ability to negotiate, is that how you see it as well? Absolutely. I mean, you hit it right on the head. Um, we right now are leading the course. We're doing the work as it's intended for the members of Congress to do it. I mean, we, we did some significant piece of legislation to get to this point. So when some say, why weren't you working um, sooner to get the appropriations bills? Well, we have been, but it takes a while, number one, to get the bills written, get the bills into the committees, the committee process, subcommittee, full committee process, get a vote, take it to the floor, then you have a rules process, et cetera. But we've done all of that. If we were able to get those five bills over the Senate, plus a continuing resolution, if you want to call it that, but it's not, a short-term spending bill and reform bill over, then we chart the course. We'd have the top line negotiating. If we let the Senate do what they're intending to do, they chart the course. They've got the only thing over there. They jam us with no reforms, no cuts in spending, no border control. That's not what we need. So I stand here with the overwhelming majority of my House Republican colleagues saying, let's be real, guys. You know, we can't get all 12 bills completed this week. It's taken us all this week to get close to finishing the four. Uh, so let's take the time to do it right. But we established a pattern if we put that 
short-term spending bill with reforms in it and those five bills that we've already done out of the 12, we chart the course. And I would much rather have us negotiating against Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer, Chuck Schumer especially because he's the majority leader there, and against the White House. They want us to shut it down. They want to use that against Republicans, saying Republicans can't get their act together. Well, our problem is is that we see that we got a debt in this country is $33 trillion. We're deficit spending. We can't keep doing this. And sometimes someone is going to have to be adult enough to say, we've got to cut spending. We've got to reduce unnecessary spending. We've got to take all the woke stuff out of our military budget and other budgets. We've got to resource the people at the border to protect our country. We have to deal with our agriculture budget. And, yes, there will be cuts in the agriculture budget. But, hey, everybody takes a haircut if we get to a point of finally saying we can't get less than 10 years down the road and our our uh, interest payments will be larger than our entire annual budget. Yeah. We can't do that. Uh, C- Congressman Tim Wahlberg joins us. I have a couple minutes left here. I, I wanted to get your reaction as well to the impeachment inquiry hearing that's underway on Capitol Hill as well. Uh, Congressman Jamie Raskins has said that there's nothing here, that this is all just uh, I, I, I'll, 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 I'll paraphrase and say a witch hunt. And uh, and that there's that in the middle of this, these very serious talks in, involving funding the government, um, this impeachment inquiry hearing is going on. What, what, what are you taking out of these these comments that are being made on the House Oversight Committee now? Well, I've I've been uh, all all morning wrapped up in uh, a hearing, hearing an Energy and Commerce Committee looking at the uh, the state of our of our grid, and uh, so I haven't had much chance. I did catch a few comments of my friend, and he is my friend, uh, Jamie Raskin. I don't agree with him on an awful lot of stuff, but we have worked together on a few things. But I'd I'd say to Jamie, listen, you didn't say that, and you wouldn't countenance the Republicans saying that when you were running the impeachment impeachment trial on Trump. Which we now know there was really no information to back up that. There was no information to justify that, according to the Durham report. Yeah, there's no there there. In in this case, there is there there. And we're seeing more come out where direct emails have gone to President Trump, the vice president at the time, dealing with with payoffs to to Hunter. And and, and so to say there's nothing there, that's, that's, that's an incredible statement to try to get over the the reality that's in place. So I think the inquiry is the right way to go. Uh, number one, it's going to get information out that has been held back during the last two years because the Democrats had control and they wouldn't let those hearings take place. Now there is another majority in the room, and we are showing that there is there there. There are factual evidences. Is it enough for impeachment? Sure. You know, that, that's a question we have to look at. But yeah. It certainly says what the president has said numerous times about his involvement with his son's business dealings. Hey, it doesn't stack up. I have about 30 seconds left here. Uh, former President Donald Trump was in town last night in Clinton Township. Uh, obviously not your district, but the former president was was very vocal about the electrification of the automotive industry and, and called on union members to come over to his side. Do you think that he was able to strike that chord? I think he was. I think he was because he's already struck the chord with many, many rank-and-file union members. I know that from what I know about my district in Monroe County specifically. That was John Dingle's district before mine. 
Then I got it. We began to win them over. But when Trump came, he talked their language. They believed that he understood them. He, they didn't think of him as a billionaire. They thought of him as a, the guy next door who sure. understood hardworking guys. And when he talks about EVs, they say right on. We know that's not the case. We're building the cars, the trucks that people want. Only 6% of our population is bought into EVs, and most of those were Teslas. So these guys that are working and gals working on the assembly line understand that we still make the greatest cars in the world. We're capable of doing that. We've done it by reducing emissions. We've got great cars that, that do everything that people want. That's why they're buying them. And when Trump says that, I will not mandate. He doesn't say, if yeah. you want to buy an EV, go ahead. Sure. But he said, I'm not going to mandate. All, all the while, while these UAW negotiations are going on. Congressman Tim Wahlberg, I got to run. Good talking with you. We'll talk again soon. Look forward to it. All right, we've got to take a break. More coming up next. We're talking to Bate and Donald Trump. He's selling you out to China. He's selling you out to the environmental extremists and the radical left. People have no idea how bad this is going to be also for the environment. You know, those batteries, when they get rid of them and lots of bad things happen, and when they're digging it out of the ground to make those batteries, it's going to be very bad for the environment. Well, and that, and that is one of the, the main contention points for... For a lot of those uh, folks who disagree with the idea that EVs are a greener future or they are meant to be uh, carbon free or carbon neutral. Here's here's the other part. I, I looked up how many union built electric vehicles there are. This is the 2023 UAW vehicle guide. All right. And I counted one, two, three, four. I'm going to make sure I get it right. Five, six, seven. Seven electric vehicles made by union labor. One of them is a transit van. So, but I included it because that's how few options there are. Now, yes, Ford's got the Mach-E, but that's not, it's not made by union labor. Of course, Tesla's, all of those things, not made by union labor. Okay? So, it's funny to me. When you've got the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's of the world who on Meet the Press said that she drives a Tesla, uh, weirdly enough, bought the Tesla during the pandemic and said that it was the most safe way to travel because vaccines weren't available yet. Not sure what one has to do with the other, but she said it. And she says she's looking to trade in her Tesla for, an, for a union-made EV, EV vehicle. The problem is, is they're just not here yet. Now, there are quantities. There, 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 are, there are inventories of EV vehicles. But is, is, is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez somebody who wants to eat the rich, somebody who wants to demonize people for making a lot of money, is she going to go out and buy a Cadillac Lyric? Is she going to go out and buy a, 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 a Hummer? I don't know about that. That's not a good look. That doesn't jive with the brand. So what Donald Trump is saying, again, there, there is some truth to it. Do I believe it? 100%. I do not. But at the end of the day, Donald Trump came here and made the point that there will be less of you needed to make electric vehicles. 800-859-0957. 800-859-0WJR. You heard Donald Trump here on our airways last night. 
And immediately following Donald Trump, you heard the the GOP presidential debate. And this was an interesting one. Because I thought it was better than the first go around. But I I didn't I didn't love everybody's performances. You know, I thought the back and forth between Nikki Haley and and Tim Scott. At one point they they went after each other. Nikki Haley, uh, who appointed Tim Scott to the to the Senate in 2013, um, says that he never finished the economic policy. He never finished the job. He's been there for 12 years, and he never finished. He never did it. And then they went to a break. And I don't know if you've noticed, but when they go to a break in in a debate, each candidate and their staffers come up and they talk to them and they try to hit on a few things that that they are, are that they should be aware of so after the fact after this tiff goes back and forth then scott comes back and starts jabbing at nikki haley and it was very strange because he started talking about a 10 cent gas tax in South Carolina, she shot back and, and basically said, you're over your skis. You don't know what you're talking about. Do your research. And he kept saying, just go see YouTube. I, I it, it felt to me like it was almost the end for, for Tim Scott. I, I do believe Doug Burgum will probably be the next man out. But I thought Nikki Haley did a nice job. I thought Ron DeSantis did a better job. I thought Chris Christie did a better job. I, I didn't necessarily need the, uh, well, the president's sleeping with a member of the teachers union. I thought that was a little weird. And then <laughs> and then Mike Pence comes on and says, well, actually, you know, I don't want to uh, I don't want to draw any attention to this, but I also sleep with a teacher. It was very weird. But I was able to look past it. It was just a, a, a bump in the road. But I thought Mike Pence fell a little flat it, to me. I thought Ramaswamy was was about as good as he was a month ago. I I don't feel like anybody really separated themselves. I mean, there there may have been a little bit of a jockey for position, but for the most part, I I don't know what anybody did. And and if if you do, I'd love to hear from you. I don't know what anybody did on that stage last night to change anybody's minds who may be voting for Donald Trump. I don't know what anybody on that stage did last night or said last night that is cutting into Donald Trump's lead. I didn't hear it. But if you did, I'd love to hear from you. 800-859-0957. Let's go to the lines. Mark in Livonia. Hey, Mark. Yeah, uh, well, Trump is right in, in, in many ways. If you own a hamburger place and you sell hamburgers, you know, 90% of your business is hamburgers, mm-hmm. and the government says – you know, by 2035, we want you to stop making hamburgers. We want you to sell veggie burgers or hot dogs. And you say, well, that's only 6% of the market. Well, what do you think is going to happen? And that's going to cause people to lose their job, and it's going to close businesses. And I just want to say this one thing that everyone's missing about the Wayne Assembly plant, because in 2015, that plant was moving to Mexico, and before Trump, after Trump won the election, came here to Detroit and talked to Bill Ford and said, hey, look, 
we're going to lower the corporate tax to 20% because 40% is one of the highest in the world. All the industrialized countries are at 20. Could you leave your plan here? He said, yes. That's why that plant is still there. Right. So it, it, it has a lot to do with taxes. It has a lot to do with the free market. And uh, what what the administration is doing is shoving these EVs down. And at one day, it may very well be a good thing, but it's we're not ready for it. And it's going to cost people their jobs. Well, I, I, I think that's right. And I think that's why when Donald Trump says it doesn't matter what the what the outcome of these talks are going to be. I, I just that, that to me, I disagree yeah. with because what the UAW is fighting for and and, and I believe rightly so. If you're going to start building these battery plants, if you're going to start building these these plants that are that are going to be pumping out EVs, then the union wants a piece of that. They want to keep those jobs. They want to make sure that 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 they'll have a job into the future 20 years down the road. And the the unknown now is, okay. let's say we don't really know how many less people are needed to build an EV. Okay, Jim Farley says it's 40 percent. Let's go off of that. Let's say four out of 10 people who currently build cars for the UAW won't be needed when they start making EVs in mass. Okay, fine. The problem with your analogy with the burger and the hot dog is you could just go to another burger joint. You can go to another burger joint and find another uh, another burger. Here, I mean, you're dealing in the United States with the big three. That is a big chunk of the car market. And what you're going to end up seeing is more people potentially gravitating towards other OEMs that, again, don't provide union labor and maybe aren't even built here. So th- those are the issues. And I think Donald Trump hit on them yesterday, but I, I disagree with the notion that the result of these talks is irrelevant. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. We'll get to more of your calls and text coming up next. Uh, while the union bosses are talking about class warfare and talking about disparity in wages, I, I have to tell you, I really believe what's driving that is Bidenomics has failed. Wages are not keeping up with inflation. Auto workers and all American workers are feeling it. And families are struggling in this economy. And Joe Biden's Green New Deal agenda is good for Beijing and bad for Detroit. We ought to repeal the Green New Deal, get rid of the mandates and subsidies that are driving American gasoline automotive manufacturing into the graveyard. And beyond that also, uh, as President of the United States, I'll be standing with workers all across America. And I'll be standing for the right to work of every American to join a union or not join a union as they decide. And that is former Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, and, And the UAW Big Three strike was a focus of conversation last night with the candidates as as Donald Trump was here. But that is a stark difference from the reality that we live in Michigan today. No right to work. And the government mainly and politicians who are in power here siding completely with the UAW. So it, it, it painted a very different picture for a potential Mike Pence presidency. What did you think last night of the debate? I thought it was a little bit flat. I didn't think anybody really jostled to a a position of strength where they're going to start being able to take and cut into Donald Trump's lead. And and on the other side, Donald Trump being here. 
you know, he took direct aim at Joe Biden and his policies, the subsidies, all of the tax breaks that the this administration has put forward to make EVs a reality and a necessity for automotive builders like the big three here in Detroit. Eric is in Belleville. He joins us. What's up, Eric? Yeah, I thought uh, uh, maybe the candidates didn't distinguish themselves that much, but there was a wealth of information that came out from every one of them. Uh, And uh, people who have not made up their mind yet should uh, listen to that thing and, you know, play a little bit of it and stop it and write it down what you learned. Play a little what's, more, what's write stuck it down, out to you the it. most? No, I want to I list some of the things that yeah. they got into. They got into the auto strike in relation to EVs, China, and Joe Biden's policies. They got into 70,000 deaths so far this year, I believe it is, from fentanyl. Mm-hmm. Each one of those 70,000 devastates a family and all the in-laws, et cetera. Uh, they got into some potential border policies we could, we could use. Uh, and, of course, immigration stuff. They got mm-hmm. into uh, EV inefficiencies. Uh, they got into so gun a very, violence. Very complicated thing. Crime uh, that's just out of, out of hand. Uh, CVS stores closing down. Target's closing down. Nobody can access shopping. California cities are a mess. The Mexican government being in poor faith, not really helping us in any way. Uh, and and the many many employees that are within the cartels. And sure, they, look, I, Eric, there was a lot out there. I, I don't think there was anything earth shattering that was new. I don't. I don't think there was anything that again differentiated themselves from anybody else on that stage. Again, I think Nikki Haley comes out on top. Um, I think Ron DeSantis did a little better. I think he probably comes in at the number two spot. And then, you know, whoever you want, Ramaswamy at number three, you want, it doesn't matter. To, to me, they didn't, they're not doing enough. They're not doing enough. Either they're not taking enough shots at Donald Trump or they're not, they're, they're not differentiating themselves. It's all a mishmab of the same stuff, maybe in a different package, but it's all the same stuff. There, there, there was nothing yesterday that would lend any reasonable Republican voter to believe that one is vastly better than the other. To me, Nikki Haley's a little more polished. Nikki Haley's a little more off the cuff. She's smart. She's able. She's got a wealth of experience. She's got the ability to to kind of to kind of roll with the punches. I didn't really feel that way about Ron DeSantis. I don't really feel like Ron DeSantis is able to debate in a meaningful way off the cuff. I think a lot of it's prepackaged, pre-planned stuff. So I, I again, I don't know what anybody did. And I think at the end of the day, what are they doing to cut into Donald Trump's lead? And I don't think any of that was accomplished last night. Kate is in Ohio. Hey, Kate. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. You got it. Um, and, you know, I agree with you. Um, I, actually, the, Trump is still the clear front runner. I mean, um, I ended up watching his speech. That's what I ended up watching when I went to Rumble and I could see that the RNC was going to stream live. I, I watched him. I would say this, that um, 
if you're online and you're reading social media, you'll, you'll see a lot of harsh discourse against some of the candidates. And I would say, especially to Ron DeSantis, you know, not to take it personally, you know, we, we all really still love the gov. You know, he's pretty great. But um, they should know something. And what they should know is this, that um, there are many of us who look on those two impeachment hoaxes with, with great severity. And we see that election and the questions that arose from the election in 2020 as kind of a continuation of that. Um, and because we feel this way, that, you know, in our eyes, only Trump will do, you know, the person that, you know, we kind of feel like our vote was stolen. And until the man that we voted for is in the White House, that remains broken. And until he's in the White House, only Trump will do. Well, so we, I, we I do believe that, that there were a lot of folks that that tuned into Donald Trump. And again, that's just because of the pull that Donald Trump has. I, 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 I think I think that is a very, very strong tie that is going to be very difficult for these candidates to to break that tie but at the same time whether you're going to fold up shop now whether you're going to fold up shop in six months eight months don't care the point is you're trying to differentiate yourself from everybody else and you're trying to gain more support nobody's doing it so Either you're wasting your time or you're not actually serious about running for the or about landing the job that you're running for. Maybe you want something different. Maybe Doug Burgum knows he's not going to be president, but he just wants to be, uh, you know, the energy secretary or whatever. I don't know. It's worked out for a lot of folks that have that have run for office or run for president. And there was no chance. So unless that's the case, I, I to me, you're wasting your time and you're wasting my time. You're wasting your time. Because at the end of the day, if you're not gonna ha- if you're not gonna be the guy, if you're not gonna be the candidate, then I don't know what to tell you. I, I don't know what you're doing. You're wasting a lot of money. You're wasting a lot of time. So for me, if you're not if you're not separating yourself from the pack and gaining more support. I don't even really know what we're doing these debates for. You know, Donald Trump is going out and he's he's showing up in important areas, showing up on important topics. And he did it again last night in Clinton Township, came to an auto parts supplier, talking about the UAW strike with the big three, talking about EVs and Joe Biden and and these other candidates, uh, while they also need to talk about Joe Biden and how they view his administration has handled a lot of important issues. Um, you also need to start maybe looking at Donald Trump as a real serious target. And they did. Some of them did. But I don't know that they really did enough job separating themselves. Got to take a break. We want to have a border. We want to have good voting. We want to have same-day voting with all paper ballots. And we want to have a thing called voter ID. Why do the Democrats not want voter ID? Because they want to cheat. That was Donald Trump in Clinton Township last night, making an appeal to UAW voters, union members, to switch sides, switch allegiances, come over to the Republican side, come over to Donald Trump, and he will protect jobs. He will make sure 
that the union rank and file have jobs, good paying jobs in the United States. Is that a message that resonates? I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure that resonates with all UAW members, but for sure, a big chunk of them. I mean, there there was a, what was the poll? Roughly half of UAW workers don't want to make a, a transition to electric vehicles. It's because they see what the future could be. And that future is electrification could mean less jobs. And that is one of the impetuses of this strike. That's one of the main sticking points, aside from, yeah, the the, the 46% uptick in wages or tears or COLA or, you know, working 32 hours a week and getting paid for 40 hours. Like, it, it, it actually transcends a lot of that. So when Donald Trump says last night, like, it doesn't really matter what the the outcome of these negotiations are. You're still going to lose jobs like I I actually disagree because I do believe that the UAW is trying to secure their jobs going into the future as the big three make a transition to electric vehicles. So that's there for you. If you want to weigh in on Donald Trump, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Also, the debate last night, the second GOP presidential debate. Here's another interesting thing. Dave, I want to I get your thoughts on this. Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom are going to debate. Now, what, are, what do both of those guys have in common? Ron DeSantis and, and Gavin Newsom. Could you take a guess? The similarities between Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Um, they're both, uh, governors. They're both governors. Yeah. Um, um they're both not leading. No. Their pr- respective parties to run for president. True. So here's the interesting part is Ron DeSantis is woefully behind Donald Trump. Okay. Aren't they all woefully behind Donald uh, I Trump? I mean, yes. But Ron DeSantis specifically. Yeah. And everybody thought he would be the one to challenge Trump. Yeah, and and he may still be. But here's the other thing. Now Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis are set to debate each other. And this unusual debate, we could call it, uh, is red versus blue state debate is what they're calling it. And I don't really know why we're doing this. That was my next question. What's, because what's, Gavin Newsom last night was with Sean Hannity. I saw that. Post-debate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they went back and forth. Of course, these guys aren't going to see eye to eye. But, you know, Hannity pressed, pressed him on running for president. If, you know, well, if you were called upon, would you hop in? And he completely sidestepped it, went on to talk about Joe Biden in the past when asked about it, he's deferred to Kamala Harris as being the next do- a Democrat up, basically. So he continues to maintain that he is not involved, not thinking about it. I think he went on to say that uh, it's hypothetical, it's ridiculous, Joe Biden is our president. He also said that last night the winner was Joe Biden, which I disagree with. But... 
this, this, whatever this dog and pony show is, why is anybody going to pay attention when is to this, that? When is this happening? Well, I, I don't know that they've announced it. Oh, November 30th. November 30th. And, okay. So within a year of of the election. So just the two of them. So you've got just one, the two guy, of them. One, of, one of the guy who's trying to get the nomination for his party and another guy who's not running. Correct. So what? So what's the point? Why are we debating that? Why? Why? Why do we? Why does? Why are you asking my listeners to tune into that? Why? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know the answer to that. I do not have an answer. Unless these folks feel like it's going to boost their profile, which I, I can't imagine it will. If you can't do that on on stage with members of your own party, what is what is what is debating Gavin Newsom going to do for you? I agree. Nothing. I, it doesn't make any sense. Also, the House Oversight Committee right now, as we speak here, they are launching an impeachment inquiry on the House Oversight Committee led by James Comer. They are presenting all evidence that they say that they've uncovered as to the investigation pertaining to Biden's and their family finances. Of course, the the president has denied this. The White House has denied this. Jamie Raskins went on to say that this is a bunch of nonsense. But James Comer did talk briefly uh, earlier about the this particular impeachment inquiry. Here's what he had to say. The House Oversight and Accountability Committee has uncovered a mountain of evidence revealing how Joe Biden abused his public office for his family's financial gain. So they say they've got the goods. Now, here's the difference. And, and you know, all due respect to Jamie Raskin, but I'm pretty sure that we know now that your entire impeachment efforts into Donald Trump based on his connections with Russia were, were, were nothing. I mean, I look at the Durham report. I look at the admittance of the FBI in their lackadaisical approach to properly investigate evidence that they were getting or weren't getting or looking past or completely making unfair judgments on and instead they came up with a whole set of a whole a whole set of quote unquote facts that weren't actual facts there was nothing there was no truth to it and the FBI and the investigators who were heading that up it was it was baloney so excuse me for not wanting to hear what this impeachment inquiry is is all about I, I, to me, that is nonsense. The difference between this and what the Democrats were investigating Donald Trump for is the letter in front of their names. That's it. Otherwise, it's the same stuff, different day. And, and yeah, yeah, I, I actually do want to find out exactly what happened here. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's nonsense. But let's let this play out. I don't think there's any reason to want to sidestep this. And, and one of the reasons that Jamie Raskins pointed to was the fact that there was a government shutdown looming in in days. So that's fine. You're telling me that in D.C. in 2023, you haven't realized or figured out how to walk and chew gum at the same time? I just I don't buy it. I don't believe it. It doesn't make any sense. So, no, uh, to me, I want to see where this thing goes. I want to see what kind of evidence they have. And you've got the House Ways and Means Committee today voting to release new whistleblower documents. 
that shows, they say, the Department of Justice ordering the FBI and IRS investigators involved in the Hunter Biden probe to, quote, unquote, remove any reference to President Biden in a search warrant. So, yeah, no, I I do want to see where this thing goes. Lots to cover today. 800-859-0957. Donald Trump in Michigan. You got the second GOP debate and you've got the House holding an impeachment inquiry with the House Oversight Committee. It's all there for you. 800-859-0957. We'll get to your calls and texts coming up next on JR Afternoon. All right. Welcome back. 800-859-0957. 800-859-0WJR. Let's get right to the phones. Mark in Flint. What's up, Mark? Hey, I saw Doug Sattel, two T's, E-L. Hey, you have um. What? In New York City, Letitia James and Alvin Bragg, okay? I have Trump on his own hot mic in my room admitting he's bribing these people, okay? It's Doug Sattel. He says I could shoot people. Okay, I don't know what Mark's talking about. Let's get Mark out of here. I don't I don't know what that was. Uh, Eric and Adrian. Hey, Eric, what's up? Hey, Chris, thanks for taking my call, buddy. Hey, it. listen, I'm, I'm the independent voter that all these people are vying for, right? I'm one of those guys. And I'm a retired auto worker, UAW man, full through and through, Mm -hmm. and I am not afraid of this EV transition. And I'm here to tell you what. There's been more jobs lost to uh, robotics, computerization of assembly lines and other way, and also sending jobs to China, sending jobs to Mm -hmm. Mexico. And this has all been going on for decades. Sure. This isn't nothing. I don't know if back in the early 1900s when we first started making automobiles, if all the horse and buggy people were freaking out the way that <laughs> probably freaking out. you know what I mean? Well, yeah, but listen, this is innovation. This is progress. This is moving forward. And if we don't lead in this, we will fall behind. So I don't believe Trump's rhetoric. I think it's a scare tactic. And here's something else to think about, because I've been paying attention to this EV stuff for many years. The big three self-imposed moving to EVs as quickly as Biden's mandate. This isn't this isn't something that they just threw out there. The big three already mandated on their own prior, way prior to Joe Biden making this a federal mandate. So I agree. There, there's no doubt about that. And, and Eric, I appreciate the, the call and the insight. I, I, I'm with you. I, I am not I am not against the electrification of vehicles. I am not. I, in fact, I would be interested in getting an EV. It, it is not that. What I what I do fear is that uh, let's take it first on on the 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 environmentally friendliness of electric electric vehicles. Okay, we know that it is not zero emissions. We know that you still have to mine uh, elements out of the earth to to get what you need to build these things. Okay. That's number one. Number two, I don't know that we have the, the capacity on the grid as of now to support the amount of EVs that automakers are trying to sell. So, so right off the get go, we are not in a place where we should be incentivizing electric vehicles, which is what we're doing with, with different tax write-offs and those things, it, there's a reason why we're, we're we're not able to do that yet. Now, if the market dictated it, if people were like, "Oh my God, I need to get an EV," then 
then the OEMs change, then they're able to adapt, and maybe they don't want to get caught flat-footed. Understand. But right now, the market isn't there. And when you try to force people into something, or at least the, 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 the optics of it, that you're forcing people into something, well, that's when they start to turn on it, and then that's when, that's when people are against it. So I am not against EVs. I, I see the reason for the change going into the I, – I get it. I totally get it. But I, I think the idea that right now is the time, it's just not the time. 800-859-0957. Tom is in Detroit. What's up, Tommy? Oh, man. Okay, this EV thing. $1.7 billion from Michigan to subsidize this place out in Marshall, I believe it is. Yeah, the Ford, uh, the Blue Oval plant. Right, $1.7 billion, going to create 2,500 jobs. Mm-hmm. That's $680,000 a job. Mm-hmm. Come on. Those people, Democrats have no shame. They got no shame at all. You got to send... When you talk about we got to get rid of Biden, you got to get rid of Biden and all the Demo- Democrats. Send them, flush them down the toilet. They're destroying this country. How do you, how do you spend six hundred eighty thousand dollars to create jobs? Well, for, so so Tom, here's the here's the thought process behind it, and I'll just play. I'll, I'll play right down the middle here. The idea is that you want those jobs here. You want to be the epicenter of this next version of automobiles. You want to maintain that presence that we've always maintained in in Detroit. You want to maintain that presence in the automotive industry in Michigan. So, this is so customer it, demand. No, t- and you're right, Tom. This is gov- you're right. This is government demand. But, but like we're seeing, I I talked about this. Geez, maybe earlier this week, I don't know, about the, the, the CHIPS Act and the all of the money that is now available to these companies that potentially would consider building semiconductors here. And I mean, here in the United States, you've got states now throwing enormous sums of money at these companies to try to bring them in so that they have a leg up in making sure that they are the epicenter of semiconductor manufacturing. So it's it's really the same principle. The same principle is you want to be the you want to be ground zero. You want to be the place where this is all happening. And so you got to spend the money. That's the idea behind it. Now also the reason you put these EV battery plants in these locations is it's because it's close to where you're building the vehicles. These batteries are heavy. They're expensive to transport. And so my worry is, for example, with this plan out in Marshall, the fact that they're pausing construction on it while they can figure out if they can competently run it or whatever they said, Ford, then I think the the worry is that, okay, well, then are you not going to end up building there and are you not going to end up building these vehicles in Michigan? And maybe that's tied into the UAW talks. Maybe it's tied into the negotiations that are ongoing and the conversations that are happening behind closed doors. But that's not the way it was framed. And so that's the worry is, yes, you may have to overpay now, but hopefully down the road you're going to get so much business that it won't really matter. 
Elaine's in East Point. Hey, Elaine. Hey there. You know, since you're always so decent about being down the middle and playing both sides, mm-hmm. I need to ask the question, and since everybody has seemed to avoid it, I wonder if it's an issue when these batteries go dead Yep. and are no longer useful. Are they going to landfills, or what are we going to do with them? They will not go into landfills. Um, I I don't know. I, I I don't know, and I think that's going to be one of the 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 very next industries that go hand in hand with this, because you can't trash them, can't throw them away. Um. I, I think you're going to have to send them to specific places that will dismantle them in a safe way that will that will take the necessary components out and 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 get rid of them that way. But no, I, I don't I don't you're not just going to be able to throw them away. Mm-mm. That's not going to work. So th- there are going to be different facilities and different companies that are going to be able to 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 deal with that. Uh, Elaine, I appreciate the call. Thank you. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. We've got Donald Trump in town yesterday, last night, speaking to, uh, to, to car builders, to parts suppliers, and talking, taking direct aim at Joe Biden. And, and his push, as Donald Trump says, to force EVs onto the American public. And and taking it a step further, that the UAW and union members won't be at the center of building those vehicles in the future. We'll take a break. More coming up next. Donald Trump, GOP debate, Hunter Biden impeachment inquiry happening involving Joe Biden right now on Capitol Hill. Lots to do today. Phone lines are packed. Let's get to it. David Rochester. What's up, David? Hey, Chris. Hey. Uh, I strongly have to push back on you equating the nothing burger uh, Hunter Biden five-year investigation so far launched by uh, Bill Barr, Trump, and uh, David Weiss with all the damaging information found properly predicated, by the way, contrary to what you told everyone, is properly predicated based on the May 6th meeting with George Papadopoulos and the Australian uh, uh, commissioner, uh, downer. Okay. And then uh, crossfire hurricane launched July 31st. And God knows they found tons of evidence of involvement, including what would be called collusion in plain sight, whether it's, whether it's, uh, Roger Stone colluding with the, the, uh, uh, uh Julian Assange through, uh, the Russian GRU, Lucifer 2.0, uh, Paul Manafort exchanging data with uh, 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 a Kalimnik, an agent, a Russian agent, uh, polling data, and uh, Duponsky, a a, uh, oligarch. I mean, you could go on and on, including the Trump Tower meeting, including the fact they systematically interfered. It was overwhelming, overwhelming the damaging evidence, real evidence that came out throughout the Russian. Dave, let me ask you a question then. If all of that, if 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 that's the the logic you go down, if if that's what you believe, why did the FBI make the concessions that they did following the Durham report? Why did they? 
why did they why did they agree that their way of of investigating what happened was built on a house of cards why 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 did they why did they change their procedures why did they change their procedures at the fbi following the durham report in fact, they even pushed back on that. They said, no. But no, they didn't. The they made the changes. The Hurwitz report preceded Durham report. They found technical violations. Okay, so then, Dave, okay? let me ask you a follow-up. Here's my follow-up to you. Do you not care at all about this Hunter Biden, Joe Biden thing? You're you're telling me that there is nothing there that you care to follow up on. Nothing. They've been looking at it for five years. Okay, then let me ask you this. Here's another one. Today, Dave... The House Ways and Means Committee is is releasing new whistleblower documents. They say that the DOJ ordered the FBI and the IRS investigating Hunter Biden to remove any reference to President Biden in their search warrants. What do you make of that? That's appropriate. We got president involved. The search warrant was for Hunter Biden. It's appropriate. Then it's fine. Then it's appropriate. Then it's all appropriate. Then it's fine. Then, then we then there's nothing to see here, Dave. I appreciate. It. I, I we we're just seeing things differently, and that's okay. I uh, to me, you want. I, I said it at the time that they were in, investigating uh, Donald Trump. Let's see what we got. Let's see what we got. And when the hearings were happening, there was a lot of missing links. Let's see where this takes us. If there's missing links, I'll look at it as skeptically now as I or as as I. As I did with Donald Trump, I'll look at it exactly the same way. But just because it, it, it it's nonsense. If there is something to look at, look into it. These are politicians. They're not nuns. They're not altar boys. The, the, these are people that have a great deal of influence. You're telling me nothing's worth looking into? I, I just disagree. So, no, I, I, I do want to see where this takes us. And there does seem to be some legitimate information. There are legitimate whistleblowers that have come forward. Even the, the plea deal that the DOJ and, and, and Hunter Biden's camp worked out that was just bogus got redone. I mean, th- th- no, something here is amiss. And if I'm wrong, then fine. It's not the first time. But this is something that needs to be looked into. Eight hundred eight five nine zero nine five seven. Cliff in Chesterfield. What's up, Cliff? Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, of course, it's worth looking into. Um, um, the last caller kind of described the whole nothing burger. He, he didn't even mention a Russian. All uh, so that's all he did was say the word oligarch. So I guess that you know that yeah, he's right. guilty. But, guilty. Uh, but but anyway. Um, so I heard you compare um, like all these states willing to throw money at. You know, trying to get this semiconductor business in. Yep. Well, we all know that we need that business. I mean, that's a viable business, right? And everybody, I mean, there's there's a real reason for that. Wait, hold on, hold on. Let me just clarify. The reason I said that is because he was talking about the the tax incentives that Ford was getting at the Blue Oval plant in Marshall. And that the, the 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 amount of money six hundred some thousand per worker that was being created. The only reason I said that is, is because when the incentives are there, those companies are going to come, and you're going to have to overpay because you want to be at the epicenter. So yes, well, that's, th- fine. Th- that's fine. I we do need that manufacturing here. There, there's no disagreement there. My point is, 
states are willing to throw money at these companies because they want to get them there. Yeah, but that's not my point. I mean, that that's a viable business, so I don't blame them for doing that. But these batteries, do you do you really? I mean, nobody really wants electric cars. It's not a viable business right now. Everybody, well, if they make us drive them, then it's a viable business. But nobody wants to buy one. And when I say nobody, I don't mean like zero, but yeah. very, very few. There's a very small percentage of fully electric vehicles sure. in in the market. It's like one percent, and it's never been over. 3% of hybrids and electrics uh, uh, combined. So people just don't want them for a lot of reasons. Range, cost, all kinds of reasons. Sure. But anyway, so do you really want to throw that kind of money to say, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm putting my stake in here. Let's spend all this money and um, on a business that we're, we're not even sure of, you know? So, and maybe so you look at a, it as just hedging your bets. Maybe you look at it as if this thing really does come to fruition like the automakers thinks it will or that the federal government wants it to, maybe you just hedge your bets and hope for the best and hope that, no, that you're the next. she ne- hedged our bets. Yes. We didn't get to do that. That's no, our well, money. Well, of course. Of course. But you know what I'm saying. That That's that's the prerogative of of the government, whether it's the state government or the federal government. That's their prerogative, at least in our case in Michigan. It's not the case in Florida, but it is our case in Michigan. So I think that's the idea, which is which to a certain extent is okay. Um, but there are other EV battery plants that Ford is building in Kentucky and Tennessee. Like they're not, they're not being exclusive to, to us in Michigan. So no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, and I, and I do agree. The overall market demand for electric vehicles is very small. Vince in Northville. What's up, Vince? How are you? Good. Thanks for taking my call. You I just it. wanted to bring up the debate from last night. Mm-hmm. I hope everybody was paying attention. I only watched about 10 minutes of it, but I felt like a uh, school monitor on a playground <laughs> watching a bunch of 12-year-old kids call each other names. But I got news for you, people. If this is the best that we could do for, for representation of us, the American people, we are in a world of hurt, okay? We, it is a sad when our government now and our greatest houses and chambers don't even have a dress code. There's no level of respect or standard to be kept, okay? You've got grown people that are elected officials calling each other, oh, Donald Duck and this and that and that and this. They attack Donald Trump more than they attack the guy that's destroying this country. And all that I'm saying is I know everybody's talking about investigations and Biden and stuff like this. Folks, we've had investigations for the last almost eight years. We need to start focusing on the lady that has three kids that goes to the grocery store and pays 350 bucks for groceries for the guy like myself that has to fill up at $100 every three days to go mm-hmm. to work for gasoline. We better start taking our eye off the tinsel and the shiny stuff and getting down to the meat and potatoes that drives this country because Biden's not going to jail. He will die first, Okay. Hunter is going to go on being Hunter. Trump is going to go on being Trump. Stop the investigations. Stop the money to Ukraine. Let's try focusing on me and you. All right. Have a good afternoon. That's from Vince in Northville. Vince, appreciate it. All right, got to take a break. We're talking Lions next on JR Afternoon. Big game tonight. Big game tonight. Lions Thursday night football in Lambeau to take on the Packers. 
And this just feels like there's a lot on the line. Steve Courtney. Yes, sir. What's up, dude? Uh, I'm, I'm very excited. Are I can you? tell you are as well. Yeah. Uh, this chat brought to you by the hardworking men and women at Bill Brown Ford. Our gridiron heroes are back. Forward down the field, a charging team that will not yield. My good friend Matt Garko, along with Bill Brown Ford's True View Inventory, are fighting for fame and winning the game each and every day. Shop their True View Inventory at BillBrownFord.com today. Uh, first things first. Nobody panic. Usually Thursday night football in the National Football League is on Amazon Prime. Yep. Uh, it is going to be on Fox 2 tonight. So you're not going to have to get home Good. and fiddle around with that whole darn deal. Uh, next, you know, we've seen the Hun Little Blue and Silver at the Frozen Tundra many times in years gone by. And it was indeed the Frozen Tundra. <laughs> not tonight. 61 degrees. At kickoff for the Lions, who, by the way, are looking for their fourth straight win over this franchise from Green Bay. And you know what, Chris? Let's just get the conversation going, shall we? Uh, I think it is imperative. uh, With Jordan Love, now the quarterback uh, in GB, that the Lions give him a little something-something to think about, much like they did uh, last week uh, Mm -hmm. when they came through defensively. Uh, Desmond Ritter went down seven, count him seven times. He stinks. Uh, (laughs) Now, conversely, the comparisons for Jordan Love, who was behind Aaron Rodgers for a couple of years, already being made to Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Now, please, we've got to be realistic about this situation. Do we not? That this guy could be legit? Well, you don't make comparisons. It's been it's happened in sport time and time again, where you have a young player who is being compared to a Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, and then let's just go with the rule of average, like the the, the like statistically. Statistically, do you know how unbelievable it would be for Green Bay to go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love and have a twenty year career in Green Bay, like? It's not going to happen. This dude is hes fine. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not anywhere close. I, I Here's what I think that is. I think that's an organization trying to prop up this player because he's all they got. He's yeah. him. They well, put a lot of resources into him. They put up with a lot of nonsense when Aaron Rodgers was there with him. So, like, they got to do what they can to make this work is how I feel about it. Well, listen to me. If I'm Lions general manager Brad Holmes... I am feeling pretty, pretty good about my 2023 draft. Uh, look at the, oh. the the contributions you're getting. Uh, Sam Laporta, we'll start there. Uh, not to mention defensive back Brian Bar- uh, Branch. Laporta, 18 receptions, the most receptions by a tight end in his first three games. He surpassed the mark by who? Keith Jackson. Remember him? In Philadelphia 35 years ago. Back to Brian Branch we go. Why not? He became the first defensive back since at least 1994, Chris, to have 10 overall tackles, three tackles for loss, and two passes defended in a game. Not to mention, you're getting contributions from running back Jameer Gibbs and linebacker Jack Campbell. He had one of the seven sacks against Atlanta a week ago, his first in the National Football League. Now, the Packers, uh, they have some contributing rookies. Jaden Reed, the former Spartan, and Dontavian Wicks, have combined for three touchdown receptions. How about this? 
The Lions have an NFL leading 386 scrimmage yards from rookies this season. The Packers are second with 371. And you got that kid out of Williams and Mary, that Swordsdall kid, uh, the offensive lineman, yeah. late round pick, who played really well last week and when they needed him to. Yeah, that reminds me. Uh, there have been contradicting reports throughout this Lions game day. Uh, we knew that left tackle Taylor Decker and running back David Montgomery were listed as questionable. Now we are hearing confirmed reports that they will both be in that game tonight. They will both play? Yes. Yes! Okay. This is from uh, Justin Rogers with the uh, Detroit News. Okay. And he just doesn't throw out information willy-nilly. And now he's connected. He's got he's got hookups there. Um. All right. Let me, let me just go back to what you said about Laporta Branch, Gibbs, and Campbell. Um. We've seen, I think, the linebacking core over the last couple of weeks play pretty well. They played much better last week than they did the week before against Seattle. Yeah, Anzalone and Barnes. Have Barnes been... coming off the edge as a defensive oh, end. I mean, yeah. very creative. Then I, I look at Laporta and Branch. I mean, those are your second-round picks. Are they out? Are they out playing Gibbs and and Campbell? I I think you're comparing apples to oranges here. I mean, uh, I know I understand what you're saying, but I mean, in terms of the quality of play you're getting out of those two positions, and Jameer Gibbs is going to have to. It's a different game in the NFL, right? And they're going to have to scheme them up and do different things. But all of those guys that you mentioned have contributed. They've contributed in big ways in Certainly. a lot of important scenarios, and that's what's catapulted them to wins. And and it it only goes to show you how good of a job that Brad Campbell's staff does in identifying talent and then and then you have to credit Campbell or, or excuse me Holmes in being aggressive going out and and making things happen for you to get get some of these guys that you really value well and uh to have this output and I think uh, Ken Brown will attest to this to get this sort of output and I know it's early in the season I get it but it's something that we haven't seen with the Detroit Lions in a draft in a in a little bit of time here. You Predictions that, for tonight? What do we got? Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a Detroit win. I don't know about what or many, but just remember this: one year ago, today when the Lions played or this week, James Houston was on the practice squad. Mm-hmm. So you talk this rookie stuff now, but just let it let it settle, let it get some weeks in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guys who are not like the first round picks, maybe the second round picks right now are playing better. Yeah. But by week 12. I'm just saying, you did a nice job. You did a nice job getting these guys in here. This could be the uh, stat of the evening. The Lions have scored at least 20 points in 12 consecutive games. They can match the franchise record by reaching that mark tonight. The Lions had 13 straight games with at least 20 points. That in 1995. Then how about this? Green Bay has held seven of its past eight opponents to 20 points or fewer. 27-17 27-17 Lions. I like that. We got to get the road golf to be the home golf, though. Golf doesn't play the same on the road as he does at home. He was slinging it there last year. Game oh. 17, week 18. They only scored 20. They barely scored 20 points that game. Remember? They get it done. Hey, D.C. Aaron Glenn. I want to see him. Get it Get it together. Release the pressure, hounds. Pressure. Pressure. Release the hounds. All right, Mitch Alman, the crew, coming up next. It's going to do it for us. We will see you tomorrow. We'll be in Mount Pleasant for the WJR Fall Tour. Same time, same place. Have a good night.